0: Good morning everybody. You know, I left, you off, I left off on our David series. I'm still doing that. And if you uh, really enjoyed the last one, we left off David and Abigail, if you remember that one. I am really uh, diving into the, to the character of David, and he's one of the greatest kings in all of Israel. And I'm going to tell you why this morning. He's one of the greatest. There's a reason. But first... I want to talk about the greatest measure of any person's maturity is how we handle authority. The greatest measure of a person individually is how we handle power, how we handle influence. In other words, when it dawns on us, And how we respond when we realize we're the most important person in the room. Whether it's a boardroom, a classroom, a locker room, at work, at home, with your family, at their dinner table. What you do in that moment says so much about your individual maturity. Because the greatest measure of a person is what they do with power, influence, and authority. There are a few things more disturbing than when you see someone with power or influence or authority and they use it for their benefits to the neglect of the people that they're responsible for. Yet there is something so inspiring when we see someone with influence and power That says no to themselves and yes to the people who've chosen to follow that. And that's what makes David great. My theory is that we wouldn't know, because you asked the question, what would I do? Here's my theory. You don't know until you're put in that position. Right now, like, no, I'll be humble. (laughs) Yeah, I'll be the humblest guy in the boardroom. You don't know until you're in that meeting with the other champs with you with the church in the classroom in the locker room at your dinner table you wouldn't know and in David's case he wouldn't know until he got the crown because when David was in middle school this is crazy Samuel the prophet imagine this older guy long hair beard in a robe Samuel and you heard about Samuel Samuel was the guy that told King Saul, you're done, you're no more king because you don't listen to God. He was the guy that took King Agag, who was captured by Saul, and Saul was supposed to kill him, Saul didn't kill him, and Samuel goes, takes out a sword and whops off his head. And so Samuel shows up in David's life. He actually goes to his house, and he tells David's dad, Jesse, I'm here for a special sacrifice, and I need you to bring all your sons. And if you're just you're like, oh yeah, I'll bring them all. Because Samuel was there to appoint a new king. It was a secret mission, because Saul was still the king. Even though his kingdom would come to an end, he was still reigning as king. And so God's going to tell Samuel... Who to anoint. And so Jesse invites his whole family to the special sacrifice, and Samuel's scanning the crowd. And when they arrive, Samuel saw Eliab, or Eliab, however you want to say his name, and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before me. He's like, I got this. I got this, God. This guy looks awesome. I got this figured out. You know, this anointing process that, that Samuel thought was something very um, ancient and also very powerful because an anointment means that you've been blessed, that you've been under the protection. It originally started with shepherds who were protecting their sheep from insects that would get burrowed into their eardrums and kill them. They would put oil on their head and ears so the insects couldn't get in. So it became over time symbolic of protection. Symbolic of blessing. Symbolic of empowerment. And so Samuel's there to anoint, and he sees Jesse's first son. He goes, this guy's got to be it. He looks amazing. <laughs> Aren't we like that? Yeah. We give total cred to the guys that look tall, dark, and handsome. You know, Dylan didn't get that his freshman year. <laughs> Remember Dylan's story? I was like, yeah, I, I relate to that 5-2 scenario. So Samuel's, Samuel's like, I got this. This is easy. And so God says, but the, He says, Hey, I've not chosen, but the Lord does not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at, people look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Isn't that so true about us? We don't give so much value to someone's IQ. We give value to their muscle size, their height, their hair is combed the right way, they use the right wax, they have the latest cut, their clothes are trendy. But the Lord looks at the heart. In other words, what's in a man makes a man, what's in a woman makes a woman. That's what God is saying. So, ladies, don't be fooled by the outward appearance. And brothers, the men, don't be fooled by their makeup skills. (laughs) Be faked out. They'll spend hours doing that. And so six sons later, no one gets anointed. And it's getting a little awkward. All around me are... Familiar faces. <laughs> <laughs> and so he asks he goes, uh uh, uh Jesse. Um he asked them to bring us all the sons. He goes, Jesse, um, are these all the sons you have? I mean, if you're Jesse, you're like, yo, the important people are here. <laughs> if you're Jesse, well, oh, they're still the youngest. But he's tending the sheep. He's just a kid. He's out there with the sheep. It says it all right there. (laughs) Special sacrifice, Samuel's coming, and where's David? He's watching the sheep. David is viewed by from an outward appearance perspective, and he's not even worthy to attend the special sacrifice with Samuel. He was just a kid. He was a boy. And so Samuel said, "Send for him, and we will not sit down until he arrives." David's like 13, maybe 14 years old at this time. And the entire family and Samuel remain standing until David shows up, and all eyes are in David. You're walking to a party you're like, and you see everyone? When I was 13 years old, I walked into this family party. I was late. I was outside, I was in the car and getting stuff out, and I come in. And I walk in, and there's a lot of men and women sitting in this room, and they're staring at me. And I know what they want. They want me to kiss them. And it's really awkward. It's like 15 of them. If you're Latin, you get this. If you're not Latin, you're like, what? What's going on? No, when you go up in a room, and your dad's wa- he's just watching you, see what you're going to do. I was like, I wanted to scurry past the room, but my dad goes, and I have to kiss every man, woman, and beast in the room. (laughs) Show respect. This is my dad's honor at stake. So all eyes are on David, and the Lord says to Samuel, rise and anoint him. This is the one. Now, if you're David and you're just in middle school and Samuel walks over to you and pours oil and it smears it all over your head and then he leaves. You're like, what just happened? What is life? You don't know what's going on. He just called him from the sheep and everyone's looking at you and there's Samuel. There's Samuel and he just rubs oil on you. How often do we not realize what's happened to us spiritually as Christians? You know, the Bible says that we've been anointed too. Just like David. He was anointed. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians, you've been anointed. You know, sometimes we can stand there like David going, what is happening? We have this anointment and we do nothing with it. It doesn't change us. But for David, for us, when we look at this story, we're thinking, oh, Samuel anointed him as king. But the Bible doesn't say that. Samuel knew he was appointing him king. There's no indication that Samuel told David what the anointing was for. But anointment meant blessing and protection. But David is not aware. He's 13 years old. He has no clue but he does know this, God has something special for me. You know, if you're a Christian, God has something special for you. And this is where David's at. If you're David's brother, you're like, what? What? I mean, the Bible has this major gap. What's the brother's reaction? You know, what what was their reaction? I'll tell you what their reaction was, what? I'm the soldier. He's not a soldier. I'm a fighter. He watches the sheep. Here's what we know about David. He knew that God had something special for him. Two years later, David would kill Goliath and become a national hero. And remember what David says when he killed Goliath and why he killed him? Because today you have defied the army of Israel. Because he knew I've been anointed. I worship God. And he kills Goliath and becomes a national hero. I mean, Instagram followers, boom, in the millions. <laughs> They're writing songs on YouTube. He's a sensation. He's, a, he's, just, he's just so viral because he's a national hero. And the king, Saul, takes him into his courtyard. He becomes best friend with the king's oldest son, Jonathan. And then Saul becomes jealous of David. And he wants to get rid of David. And he wants to kill David. And so for, for eight years, he enjoys the being with Saul. And then for the next, for eight years, he's a fugitive. He's an outlaw. He's deciding whether to join the Philistines, the enemy. And, and also at the same time, trying to avoid Saul's party who follows him and wants him dead. He's running around hiding for eight years. And all the while... He knows God has chosen him for something special. And during those times in the wilderness, David learns one of the greatest lessons. And the lesson is, it's not about me. You know, God is going to take us through the wilderness. And we can complain and get bitter, And we can hope for a magical prayer to change our character. But character is not changed through a prayer. Character is changed through trials. Character is changed through suffering. That's why James says, you should be glad you're you're struggling. You should be glad you're you're suffering in these trials. You should be happy because God is molding you for something greater. And it's not about you anyway. You hear Dylan's story going, man, that was a wilderness journey of epic proportions of someone whose parents grew up in the church, got married in the church, but the outcome was horrendous. And he stands here today as a man who's gone through the wilderness. He's learned a lesson. We want change, but without pain. And this lesson about David says it's God's will, it's God's way, and it's in God's time. And so David has these two amazing opportunities while he's on the run to kill Saul. He has two chances to kill him. One of them is very famous. He's hiding in a cave, deep in a cave, and he knows that Saul's army is outside, and he's waiting for the army to pass by. And then as they're passing by, King Saul goes, I have to go to the restroom. And, you know, if it's number one, you go outside the cave. But if it's number two, you have to go inside the cave. So Saul goes inside the cave. He goes way in there. And he's by himself because no one's going to hang out with the king in the cave. You know what I mean? He goes in. But you know what's in there? David and his men are in there. And it's dark. And Dave's, David's eyes, they've already adjusted to the darkness. You know, when you're in a dark room, for, when you walk in the room, it's like, oh, it's so dark. But give yourself 30 minutes, you can see, like, everything. So David could see everything. But Saul walks in, and he's just dark. His eyes haven't dilated. He goes in, and he goes, you know, you know, he's totally vulnerable. His clothes are off. He's just sitting there. Isn't the Bible cool? One of the only accounts this happens. This is amazing. He's a king. That's why you know God wrote the Bible, because of a king telling him to do that. He's just sitting there. And then there is David. And David, David's guys are like, you've got to be kidding me. This is it. Kill this guy. And so David, David he almost falls for it. They're, they're like, so he walk, starts walking over. And his guys are saying this. This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I'll give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. I mean, they're like, come on, David. Come on, man. Kill this guy, and we're no longer fugitives. Kill this guy, I go back to my family. Kill this guy, and he almost falls for it. But I think David remembers the times when he tried to take matters in his own hands. It didn't work out so well. When he lied to Abimelech and said Saul sent me on the mission, and Saul kills Abimelech and his whole family and sons. I think he's like, wait, I've I've done this before. I've seen this movie. I've taken matter in my own hands before, and it has not turned out well. So he just cuts a little piece of Saul's robe. You know, Saul's, David's a little mischievous. He's like, hmm, okay, I'm not going to kill him. I'll take a little piece as proof, right? So David backs off, and his, uh, Saul leaves the cave, and he goes back to his horses and. They start to leave, David comes outside of the cave, and you know what he says? He goes, yoo-hoo, <laughs> yoo-hoo, King Saul, I could have got you, I could have got you. He says this, may the Lord judge between you and me. May the Lord avenge the wrongs. So you, see, you see his character starting to develop? He doesn't say, I'm going to avenge. The Lord avenges the wrongs you have done to me. But my hand will not touch you. Even though I have a right to defend my home and my men, I will not lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. That was kind of his theme. Because in his eyes, God anointed Saul, king of Israel. Remember, David, I don't think David really realizes that that's what God is preparing him for. But he was never told that directly because he looks at Saul as the king and anointed by God. He's still kind of coming to grips. And then the second time, David has his spies out and sees Saul's army. and He goes, hey, David, they're over by the desert. The desert is Ziph. They're, they're all there in the valley. And there's a lot of them, David. And so David goes, okay, guys. I'm going to go down into their camp. Who wants to come with me? It's, it's kind of like a high school staycation weekend. You know? Hey, there's a lot of farm here on the Burns property. Let's go out. I'm going to go over there. You know, David, he's, he's still a young guy. So let's go down in there. And then his, his friend, Abertide, goes, I'll go. I'll go. And so they go down. And they go down into the army sneaking past all the men and the king sleeps in the middle and all the soldiers sleep around him and customary the king sleeps with the spear right by his head in case he's got to get up for battle and so David and Abishai walked down in while well, well, in the middle of the night walked down into the valley and it said, the text says this so David and Abishai went to the army by night and there was Saul lying asleep inside the camp with his spear stuck in the ground near his head. And Abner and the soldiers were lying with him. Abner was the chief bodyguard. He was the guy that's supposed to protect the king from anyone. And then Abishai said to David, today, today, tonight, God has delivered your enemy into your hands. Abishai's like, hey, we've done this, we've been here before. I've seen the cave thing. We're in the middle of the army. He's not really yelling this. I'm sure he's whispering, like, hey, hey, today. And Abishai's trying to tell David, I know you have all these, you know, these convictions. He says, today God has delivered him. Now let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of the spear, and I won't strike him. He's he's telling David, like, I know you have all your convictions, blah, 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 blah. I don't. (laughs) I'll kill him. David's got this righteousness, and he goes, I'll do it right now. There's always that one brother in the church, and you know? I'll just, just get him. That's that guy. That's him. He's like, I won't mangle his body. Just one thrust through the heart, boom. And the last thing that he'll see is your face, David. Oh, yeah. That's how you want to go out. That's how you want to do it. The last thing he's going to see is your face, king of Israel. And if you're David, you've been on the run for eight years of outlaw, fugitive, you're tired. You almost killed Nabal, Remember, you're You're on the edge. And here's one of your right-hand guys going, let's do this now. Here's the opportunity. If I kill this guy, everyone around will know now that you're the king. Because sneaking into this camp, killing the king in front of all you guys, that's courageous. You kill him, we're king, we're no longer outlaws. And David said to Abishai, I'm not sure if he yelled this because the army is right there. (laughs) Don't destroy him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? He says, I refuse to violate the will of God in order to gain his blessings. I refuse to violate the will of God for the promises of God. That's deep. However, let's have a little fun. David. David's like a little mischievous guy, so he grabs the spear and then Saul's water jug, and they crawl out of the army. They go back on the hill. They wait for the sun to rise, and then he goes, "Yahweh, Abner, Abner, where's the Lord's spear?" And Abner's looking around. Saul's looking around, and he realizes that his spear and his water are gone. And Saul realizes for the second time that David spares his life. <laughs> David refused. He refused to replace what God has put in place. There's a times in our lives where we're in a situation and we know we're stuck and we can't get out. And God has you in this situation. And we want to get nasty back to get out of the situation. David says, no, I refuse to replace what God has put in place. Yeah, I'm talking about your boss. We can get fired. Talking about the classroom. I'm talking about the boardroom. He refused to violate the law of God for the blessings of God. And later, Saul and Jonathan are killed in battle. And David learns of his death, and he, and he mourns. And then David is made the king of Judah by the tribe of Judah. One tribe out of 12. They say, now you're our king. But one of Saul's son, sons, named ish he claims the throne of the other 11 tribes. So for another seven long years, David is in conflict still with the house of Saul. Even though King Saul is dead. And you'd think he would just take Judah, march over there, and kill Ishbosheth, but he doesn't. In fact, he stays away from him. And people are trying to tell, tell David, claim what's yours, claim the kingship. And David was like, no, it's God's will, it's God's way, and it's in God's time. And then these two brothers sneak into Ishbosheth's house while he's taking a nap, and they murder him while he's taking a nap. They just removed the very last obstacle in David becoming the king. And the text says, they brought the head of Ishbosheth to David at Hebron and said to the king, Here is the head of Ishbosheth, son of Saul, your enemy, who tried to kill you. You know, in the Old Testament, there's a lot of beheadings. It's like, ugh, why did I have to do that? It's kind, of, it's kind of excessive. You want to know why they did that? They didn't have iPhones. In order to prove that someone's dead... He said, I carry the whole body, blah, 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 or chop off the head and go, all right, here we go. It's just practical. He chopped the head off and go, look, he's dead. I told you, he's dead. Here he is, he's dead. You know when David killed Goliath, you know what he did He chopped off his head. He goes, hey, I killed Goliath. Take a look. The guy's nine feet tall, can't carry him. And they removed the last obstacle. And they said, this day they're telling david this this day the lord has avenged my lord the king against Saul and his offspring and then you you got me thinking like oh my gosh what a relief here's david's answer to uh, recap and his brother he says as surely as the lord lives who has delivered me out of every trouble this lord who didn't need your help and didn't ask for your help delivered me and when someone told me Saul is dead and thought they were bringing me good news, I seized him and put him to death at Ziglag. That was the reward I gave him for his news. That's the passion of how he felt about Saul being God's man. He didn't rejoice in his enemy being slain. As I would. As you would. He goes, no. The brothers at this moment were probably going, Hello darkness, my old friend. <laughs> I mean, it's gotten really, they were like, yeah, the king, yeah. All of a sudden like, oh, we're, oh, oh. How much more when wicked men have killed an innocent man? And you're reading this, you're going like, what? Innocent man? In David's eyes, he was. He called those guys wicked for killing an innocent man. Can you imagine the people around David going, How could you say this guy was innocent? He, he was claiming to be king of the kingdom of Israel, and he's not been anointed by Sam. You see what? David's like, No. And in David's mind, that was not how he thought. He thought it's God's will, it's God's way, it's in God's time. So David gave an order to his men, and they killed them. And, he took off their, and they took off the head of, they took the head of Ishbosheth. And they buried it in Abner's tomb, which is a sign of respect. They bury the head. Then after, the, after his death, the other 11 tribes, they join in and they, and they anoint David to be their king of Israel. All the 12 tribes. Can you imagine, after being a fugitive for 8 years, and then having ish reign for 7 years all the time being in despair and desperation, David finally, finally becomes king of Israel. And this is where the text says, all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, we are your own flesh and blood. And in the past, while Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel on all her military campaigns. We knew you had the power. We knew you had the influence. We all knew you deserved to be king. And today we're acknowledging that before you. And I'd be wondering, if you knew that, why don't you support me? That's just me, though. I don't know about you, but that's why I thought, why, if that, you thought that so well of me, why don't you help me? Remember, those living guys, when King Saul died, they didn't rush to David. They went to Saul's house. And the Lord said to you, You will shepherd my people Israel, and you become their ruler. It was no secret to them. They all knew. Everybody understood that David was destined to be a king. But they just could not understand why he just wouldn't take it, why he just wouldn't grab it, seize it, when he had so many chances because David would not violate God's law for a blessing. God's will, God's way, God's time. And so when all the elders of Israel had come to King David at Hebron, they come in to crown him. And it's in this moment right here that David shows his greatness. It's in this moment where David applies everything he's learned in the desert, in the wilderness. And in this moment, he shows incredible maturity. Maturity that he didn't have at age 13, age 15, age 22. He makes a covenant with them. You're like, so what? Kings don't have to make covenants with their people. I'm your king. Samuel said, I will take your children. I will grab them, put them on my farm. I'll enrich myself. I'll enslave. I'll take your daughters. That's what kings do. And I have every right to do it. And David makes a covenant, which means you do this, I'll do this. If you do that, I'll do this. It's like an agreement. Is it okay if I do this? What? What? Line up those 11 elders who fought against me. Line them up. Wouldn't that just be feel, feel real good? Make them shake a little bit. That's our nature. We want revenge. We want blood. And David makes a covenant with them. And three words tell us why he does it. Because it was before the Lord. In this moment, David recognizes publicly that he would be a king under a king. He was submitting himself to God's law and in turn submitting himself to the people he would rule. True maturity. When you have the power and the authority, you don't leverage it for yourself. And David's saying, I'm a king, but I'm not the king. David does not get confused who the real king was. And so when all the elders had come, they anointed David, King over Israel. David was 30 years old. And he reigned as king for 40 years. David shows us something. Leadership is stewardship. He shows us that kings are accountable. If you're a boss and you're reading this, this is, this is inspiring. If you're a Christian and you're reading this, this is inspiring. But let me tell you, it is not enough just to be inspired. What are you talking about, Gio? It's not enough for you just to feel good about David. Oh, I makes you feel so good. Man, that was a great message, great sermon. It really encouraged me. It is not enough to leave here today and, and behave that way. Here's why. Because if you're a follower of Jesus... More is required of you. If you're visiting today, be inspired. If you're a follower of Jesus, there's more. Because so many times we get inspired, we walk away, and nothing changes. It's not enough just to be inspired. So Jesus, a thousand years later, a thousand years later, it's the Passover festival. Super important festival for Jewish people. And he's having this last meal, and he says, the Bible says, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. He was leaving. He knows it. We all know who Jesus is because we can read the Bible. And Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, just like David. And they had come from God and was returning to God. Jesus understood he had the power without a crown. He had the authority without a title. And he recognized at this moment that God had put all things under his authority. What do you do when you're the most important person in the room? Jesus gets up, takes off his outer clothing, wraps a towel around his waist, and he pours water into a basement, and he begins to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And he says, hey, guys, I have washed your feet. You should wash one another's feet. I've set an example for you. It's in those moments when you think somebody, when you think you're somebody, it's in those moments you need to look for someone's feet to wash. When you think you're somebody, serve someone. It's in those moments when you recognize and it dawns on you, I'm an important person. Look for some feet to wash. Look to serve somebody. Because it is not enough to be inspired. Serve someone. We're going to be doing Mission Love next year. We're opening up the church calendar. Ooh! You're thinking on the calendar, oh, it's going to be less. No, actually, it's an opportunity for you to do more. Because it's not enough to be inspired. It's not enough just to go to midweek. I'm here. We're going to give you more time to love people, to serve people, to give to people. It says so much about your maturity when you have power, authority, influence. You look to serve other people. Just by us being anointed by God, we have power and authority. We have the Holy Spirit. Just that fact alone. Put you in God's eyes as my anointed people. Now go and serve one another. Thank you so much for your time. It concludes our service.